0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: This is the Tom
2: Hartman Programme. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Well, back in 1980, Republican strategist and uh, Heritage Foundation co-founder Paul Weyrich famously said to a group in Dallas of uh, Reagan activists, he was saying, what about these people who say good government? They want everybody to vote. He says, I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are never won by the majority of people and they never have been in the history of our country. In fact, quite candidly, our leverage in the elections goes up as the voting populace goes down. Well, we've got something here that's going to drive down the voting populace. You've got a bunch of states, I believe it's 17 states, in which you essentially have to have permission to cast an absentee ballot. And in many cases, you have to have a doctor's note. It's not easy. Congress is trying to fix that so that we can all vote by mail in the November election. Jason Sneed is with us. He's the executive director of the Honest Elections Project. He's a former senior policy analyst with the Heritage Foundation. The website is honestelections.org, and you can tweet him at Jason W. Sneed, S-N-E-A-D, or at Honest Elections. Jason, welcome to the program. Why is it that you guys don't think that every state in the union should do what we do here in Oregon and have done successfully for a decade, vote by mail?
3: Well, first of all, thank you for having me uh, on the program. And uh, to answer your question, I think that there's uh, a little bit of nuance here. So I do not think that all male voting is the best way to go, certainly not as a national mandate placed upon the states by Congress, and certainly not promulgated under the guise of it being uh, necessary to fight the coronavirus pandemic. As to the merits of mail-in balloting, I
2: I think it's... Why do you say that we shouldn't be voting by mail? I mean, it's working really well here in Oregon. It's working really well in Seattle. There are six states now where it's basically massively widespread or the only way to vote, and it works out just fine. Much of Europe does this. The UK has done it for years. Why would you be opposed to more people voting? We've seen the highest voter participation rates in the history of Oregon since, or at least the recent history of Oregon, since we instituted Vote by Mail.
3: I want to be clear here that I am not opposed to more people voting. I am in favor, however, of systems that provide the the greatest level of security and integrity to the voting process. And vote by mail is one of the least secure ways to cast a ballot. It's certainly far less. Oh, come on, Jason. Jason, That's nonsense. That's an in-person I beg your pardon. What is, is what is insecure
2: about Absolutely. about my state knowing who I am and where I live and that I'm properly registered to vote, mailing me a ballot, I mail that back in, it gets counted. What is insecure about that? It seems like what would be far there more are, insecure would be in Georgia where you vote on a touch screen machine that you could probably get a virus from and there's no paper trail, none whatsoever. It's unauditable, it's gone into a black box. I mean, that's what you're advocating? Absolutely
3: not, and I would appreciate it if you wouldn't uh, put words like that in my mouth. What I'm advocating for are secure forms of voting, and I think that there is absolutely no doubt that voting in a way which is auditable in a polling place is the most secure way to cast a ballot. If you don't believe me that there is such a thing as absentee ballot fraud, then go look at the 2018 North Carolina 9th Congressional District race where hundreds of ballots were tampered with and destroyed, and those were ballots that were the exact form of balloting that you are. Are calling totally
2: secure. Those ballots were taken. I out think of that's hands that's a great example, Jason. You know and, this was and they were this was a a Republican it. candidate, a Republican candidate in North Carolina hired a local Republican guy who had apparently done this in previous elections, and the guy went around to basically poor people in the community and said, I'll give you five bucks each for your ballots that aren't filled out. And people sold their ballots to him. He marked them all for the Republicans. He got arrested. He's in jail. There was a similar case three, three or four years ago in the UK, the guy went to jail. Are you saying that because people can commit a crime, we haven't seen anybody get arrested because of like in Georgia back in the 2002 election or 2004 election, excuse me, misplacing hundreds of thousands of votes that literally were never found because they were on these memory cards that seemed to vanish mostly out of the city of Atlanta. They haven't gone to jail. But are you saying that just because somebody committed a crime around vote by mail, and then got arrested for it, which would, I would think, make voting by mail even more secure, because the whole country learned, hey, you tamper with these things, you go to prison. How does that possibly make it less secure? It seems to me like that proves it's secure. That's like every time a, a bank robber gets arrested, we all sit around and go, oh, I guess it's safe to keep my money in my bank.
3: I take your point but I simply disagree with it. I mean the bottom line is that we got lucky in this one instance that this person was actually caught that there were investigations and I would point out that right now there's an effort afoot uh, to pass legislation or to force it in the courts to do away with the exact same ballot harvesting bans which at least allowed an investigation in the North Carolina case. So the, there's absentee a, voting do away is with anything that, that was but,
2: fraud, election fraud is illegal. You know, you can't Uh, No, you—that's legalized. There are multiple. There are multiple. What you're talking about are the efforts by by some Democrats in some states to make it possible for people who are either homeless or people who are disabled to have a volunteer come pick up their ballot. So it's a completely different thing.
3: No, what I'm talking about, I am talking about vote harvesting, but I'm talking about quite reasonable bans and limitations that are put in place on creating organizations that just go door to door and collect ballots from individuals. I have no problem with someone who needs assistance receiving it, but that should be from someone who they trust, someone who is a caregiver or a family member or a close friend. I think it's entirely reasonable, given the sort of fraud that we see for states to have... So, Jason, you're you're saying that... You're,
2: let me get this straight. What it sounds to me like you're saying is we've got an election coming up. We're told not to go out in public, not to open doors with your bare hands, not to get near people, not to touch surfaces that have been touched by other people. But you want the people in the majority of the states in the United States nonetheless to be forced into these public places if they want to participate in our democracy. Is that what I, am I understanding you correctly? No,
3: no, you're not. What I am in favor of is I have seen the last couple of weeks a number of states have taken steps to postpone their primaries so that they can hopefully hold them after the next. So we just shouldn't have, have an election to in November. Look, I think that postponing right now is a good idea. I think looking at using mail-in voting for primaries, if you're gonna push ahead and do them in the next month or two while we're in the midst of this pandemic, is an idea that should be explored. But I don't think that we're anywhere close to being able to make a judgment call as sweeping as basically changing the way that our democracy functions nationwide in, in November. In allowing giving front. states
2: $500 million, which is what Ron Wyden has proposed, to be able to afford to run the printing presses to be able to mail an absentee ballot to anybody who wants to choose to mail it in as opposed to simply coming into their polling place. I don't see how that's fundamentally changing American democracy. That is simply making it easier for people to vote in those states that try to make it hard to vote.
3: You know, again, the mischaracterizations about states that have additional protections for the integrity, that they're trying to make it somehow harder to vote, and that's the sole reason here, is is completely incorrect. And as for changing the structure of our democracy, these rules and procedures ought to be put in place at the state level. I have no problem with your state or any other state considering this, and if they choose to go down that pathway, then that's their decision. I do have a problem with Congress forcing it, and particularly forcing it months ahead of an election. They're not forcing it. They're offering uh, to pay for it. It would be a mandate to require mail-in voting without uh, any sort of an excuse and a whole slew of other mandates that would be imposed in that legislation. Okay.
2: Well, you're probably right. Jason Sneed. Jason is the uh, executive director of the Honest Elections Project. He's a former senior policy analyst of the Heritage Foundation. Honestelections.org, Twitter handle, at Jason W. Sneed, or Honest Elections. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Mark Pocan was going to be with us for the first hour of our program today, but the Senate bill, or the bill that passed the Senate, that bill is going to the House for a vote. Apparently, there's a whole lot of activity going on in the House this morning. Congressman Pocan is on uh, you know, a couple of the committees that are having to mark the bill up and check it out. And so he's just like buried in work right now, so not available to us. He may call in briefly at some point to just give us an update on what his thinking is on what's going on right now but he might not too. So we'll see, it's kind of a crazy time, kind of. (laughs) It is a crazy time, we'll just hang in there. The tip of the iceberg, this I find fascinating, the National Employment Law Project, their director Rebecca Dixon points out that the three point something, 3.28 million, I guess is the exact number, 3.28 million jobless claims that were just laid down, that that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you know, metaphorically speaking, that, that is not all the people who have lost their work because of this. Because the unemployment numbers don't include people who are, quote, self-employed. So you've got presumably hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of Uber drivers, for example, and Lyft drivers, and contract pizza delivery people, and, and home cleaners, house cleaners, fill in the blank, all these folks who have dog walking services and babysitting services and little home daycare centers and all these things that people set up is essentially their, their own little businesses. You have all of this stuff going on and none of it is being captured in the official unemployment numbers. The official unemployment numbers only show people who filed for unemployment and if you're a self-employed, if you're an Uber driver, you can't file for unemployment. You don't have an employer cleaning houses, particularly if you're doing it for cash, you can't file unemployment. If you're an undocumented immigrant who has been working in anything from you know construction to lawn maintenance to the many domestic services to agriculture to being a physician, I mean it doesn't matter. If you're, if you're not here legally, you can't file unemployment, and that's millions of people in our workforce. Street vendors, domestic workers, all of these things, they're simply not being measured. We say we've got 3.28 million unemployed people. It's probably closer to five. And by the way, that 3.28 million is massively larger than the biggest drops. The two people forget the 1980s. 1982, when Reagan first did his massive tax cuts, it caused a recession, which caused the biggest increase in unemployment in 82 since the Great Depression. It was just a massive increase in unemployment. So this beat that. And then, of course, in 87, you had the biggest drop. I mean, this was after Reagan did another tax cut. And in 87, you had the, that was his biggest tax cut, actually, in 86, 87. You had the biggest stock market crash in the history, going except for 1929. Well, we've, we've beat that, too. Beat 87. So it looks like we're trending into Republican Great Depression. 1929, Republican Great Depression territory. That's not a good thing at all. So this $2 trillion, I you know, as I said to Congressman Pocan last week, I, I believe that it's going to take $10 trillion to get us out of this at a minimum. And we've already spent $3 trillion, assuming that the Senate legislation passes the House tomorrow and doesn't have to go back to conference. And Nancy Pelosi is putting together another $2 trillion worth of stimulus, although Mitch McConnell is threatening to have the Senate go home for a month to block her from doing that. But, you know, we'll see. Meanwhile, the average time it takes to get a test result back, Quest Diagnostics and LabCorp are the two biggest companies that the Trump administration actually gave over a million dollars in cash to, to ramp up their testing once Trump figured out that he actually needed some testing. In March, you know, these companies could have been brought online in January or February, but no, Trump had to tell us, oh, it's all good, don't worry, I've got it under control. So these companies are saying, you know, it's going to take five, six, seven days to get your test results back so you know just chill out and then it gets even weirder Donald Trump spent most of his life or much of his life as far as we can tell hanging out with mobsters and people associated with the mob the most obvious was Roy Cohn a guy who was his lawyer until he died and Roy Cohn was also a lawyer for the biggest mobster in New York City Roy Cohn was a mobbed up lawyer And he was Donald Trump's lawyer. And Donald Trump was in the construction business and the real estate business, two businesses that have been heavily infiltrated by the mob back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, particularly in the years when Donald Trump was doing business. And now Trump's mobster tendencies are on display for all of us to see. There's this Democratic super PAC. It's called Priorities USA. And Priorities USA has put out an ad. It shows... Trump making a a series of proclamations, and again, it gives the date up in the corner. And then superimposed on this is a chart of the growing coronavirus diagnoses. Trump saying, oh, it's nothing, you know, and I don't want the cruise ship to get in there. It'll screw up the numbers. You know, everything's good. and We've got this under control. And as as he's saying these lies, you're watching the coronavirus numbers go up. 100% of the ad is Trump's own words. So Trump's lawyers have sent a letter now to the television networks that are carrying this ad that's funded by Priorities USA, the Super PAC. They have sent a cease and desist letter to the TV stations saying that because the clips were taken out of context, you know, they're not showing the entire hour-long speech or rally or whatever it may have been, they're just showing little clips that therefore this is deceptive advertising. Now, this is the same campaign, the Trump campaign, that according to Judd Legum over at popular.info, has over a thousand ads running on Facebook that CNN refused to carry because they contain lies. So, lies on Facebook for Trump, just fine. Truth on television stations against Trump? Oh, no, we're going to have the FCC, which answers to Donald Trump, Pull your license. This is going to be real interesting over the next 24 hours to see if these TV stations start backing down. I'm guessing that the ones that are like Sinclair stations you know will gladly back down. They'll say, oh yeah, okay, no problem, we'll, we'll stop doing that. But this is crazy. I mean we're watching in real time what happens when a failed businessman who wanted to be a mobster grew up admiring mobsters and mobster lawyers like Roy Cohn we're watching in real time what happens when somebody like that becomes president of the United States. This is a tragedy, for lack of a better word. It's just an absolute screaming tragedy. Literally, people are dying because Donald Trump fiddled while this epidemic was burning through the United States. And coming up soon are going to be, you know, Mississippi, Louisiana. And Florida, they're going to be melting down, and they've all got Republican governors who are all like, I don't know. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to CookUnity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from CookUnity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. That's 50% off your first week by using the code HARTMAN or going to cookunity.com/slash HARTMAN.
4: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
5: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey
4: Ah. the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to Carvana. it doesn't get any better than this your favorite seat's the best spot in the house make it even better by entering your license plate or vin and getting a real offer in minutes
0: That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
2: So the Defense Production Act, a law that went into effect back during I don't know if it was last year, Harry Truman, or early in Dwight Eisenhower's presidency, but it was during the Korean War. Eisenhower famously ran for election in 1952 on the platform of ending the Korean War. Uh, his slogan was, vote for Eisenhower, vote for peace. And he did end that war within a year of his becoming president. But anyhow, that's when the Defense Production Act law was put into place. And what it does is it gives the president the power to direct a company to manufacture a particular product or to hold companies accountable for price gouging and hoarding. Trump signed this a few days ago, you know, last, back in the middle of last week. But on Sunday, he was asked, why don't you put this into place? Why don't you say to the wholesalers who are hoarding ventilators and are hoarding, for that matter, they're probably hoarding toilet paper now, too, the masks. It actually turns out that apparently there are middlemen in this country who are hoarding these things, waiting for the prices to go up. And they're holding auctions where the states are having to compete against each other. And then the federal government comes in to buy and blows everything out of the water. I mean, this is going to rip through our military. The federal government is going to need these, which might be why Trump is refusing to release the 20,000 ventilators he has. Uh, Governor Cuomo of New York was on TV this morning begging Trump for those 20,000 ventilators because, you know, the, the crap is hitting the fan really, really bad in New York State right now. It's coming to a town near you, I guarantee. So they asked Trump, why don't you invoke that act to have a national clearinghouse that has some oversight? You know, in the White House, why don't you have some people who have some oversight over what's happening with these vital supplies that literally will save lives? 12% of the people with coronavirus in Spain are healthcare workers. 12 friggin' percent. It's burning through our hospitals, it's burning through our healthcare system. And it's gonna get worse. So why don't you do something about this? And Trump says, "Or are a country based on nationalizing our business. Well, the Defense Production Act does not nationalize any business. It does not cause the federal government to say, oh, you know, we now own General Motors. No, you get to tell them what to do during an emergency, but you don't own them. You get to tell them that they can't rip people off during an emergency, but you don't own them. It's not nationalizing anything. So anyhow, Trump says, But you know, we're a country not based on nationalizing our business. Call a person over in Venezuela and ask them, how did nationalizing their business work out? Not too well. This is an absolute BS answer. It's an answer that contains no truth. Well, of course, we expect that from Trump. When he started going off on on weird theories and lying in his afternoon press conference, all three cable networks cut away. CNN and MSNBC cut away first, and then Fox cut away. And Trump tweeted about how upset he is. Andrew Cuomo is describing this as a mad bidding war. And here, this headline on Salon, Trump won't require firms to fight coronavirus after corporations lobbied Jared Kushner. Say what? The New York Times reported, quote, Kushner has thrown out the established government plan for dealing with pandemics after concluding it was insufficient now I'm quoting from Salon, Kushner and top economic advisor Larry Kudlow were also persuaded by lobbying from big corporations and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce against the Defense Production Act. Senators Elizabeth Warren, Ed Markey, Brian Schatz, Chris Murphy, Tammy Baldwin, and Sheldon Whitehouse, Democratic senators, sent a letter to the Chamber of Commerce demanding answers. They're talking about the report that was in the New York Times. They said, the US Chamber of Commerce has been lobbying the Trump administration not to use the Defense Production Act to stop price gouging. Not to use the Defense Production Act to stop price gouging. Let me say that one more time. The US Chamber of Commerce is lobbying the Trump administration not to use a law that is available to them to prevent price gouging and hoarding by corporations. So these six senators wrote this report, if true, is shameful, revealing that the chamber is actually working against efforts to address the urgent national COVID-19 pandemic and is placing the short term desires of its members above the economic and public health needs of hundreds of millions of American families. You owe the public an explanation for this behavior. We urge you to cease your lobbying efforts against measures to address the COVID-19 pandemic, is how the letter wraps up. You owe the public an explanation of this behavior. I haven't looked at the Chamber of Commerce's website today. There's the U.S. Chamber, and then there are state chambers in every state. Louise and I, our little business used to be a member of the Vermont Chamber of Commerce when we lived in Vermont from 1997 until 2008 or nine, whenever that was. And the reason we were members of the local Chamber of Commerce was that was the easiest and cheapest way to get health insurance for a small business. That was the service that they provided us. But we knew that our money was going to the National Chamber as well, and it just made us cringe. And here we are, the National Chamber of Commerce. I don't know if you can go to their website and get their phone numbers and call them up and just ask, is it true that you guys are lobbying against the Defense Production Act? Why? We're the public. We would like to know. Asking principally the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, but all the state chambers of commerce are basically satellite affiliates. They're members of the U.S. Chamber. What the hell's going on here, guys? Why are you lobbying Jared Kushner to pull Trump back from talking to Anthony Fauci and instead talk about, let's open America back up for business? Is it just about the money? Do you not care about people dying? Is that what's going on? I'd like to know. And meanwhile, we've got, you know, old Heritage Foundation folks saying, oh, you know, we don't need everybody to vote in the election. We're still trying to figure out why it is that Donald Trump has basically done everything he can to make this pandemic worse in the United States. Tom Harbin here with you. So why is Donald Trump and the Trump administration generally, why are they... Seemingly happy to have this this, uh, disease ripping through our hospitals, burning down our healthcare systems. Why? Is it possible that Trump thinks that there's some benefit to him in this getting worse? I mean, we know that the British Secretary of Health just two weeks ago was advising Boris Johnson you should let this thing burn through the British society, let it burn through the United Kingdom, it'll take out the weak basically. It'll take out the elderly. It'll take out people with high blood pressure. It'll take out people with lung disor- you know, diseases. We didn't really need them anyway. I mean, they're the frail. They're the, the takers, not the makers in society. And, you know, after that, we'll have herd immunity. Now, I'm not quoting the guy verbatim, but that's the essence of what he was saying. And now you've got, you know, you've got young people say, oh, yeah, this disease is the boomer remover. Except that it's killing young people, too, in substantial numbers around the world. By young, I mean, you know, under 30. So, what the hell's going on? What is this about? Win in Solomon, Maine. Hey, Wynn, thanks hey. for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind?
1: Let me just read you a quote that I actually heard at a party. And it is... They are eating our food. They are occupying our hospital beds and doctors. It's time to call the herd. I wonder how much this plays into things that are going on. I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but anybody that knows testing, I'm a scientist, and the type of testing we need to do is for data, which means random testing. You test everybody, Mm -hmm. not because they have symptoms. That way you can get a map. You can map, and that's what should have been done initially. And the, for the fact that was totally ignored, and that's standard protocol for any kind of testing like this. I really wonder. Right. South
2: Korea a, was doing this by the second week after they had their first correct. case. They had the first case correct. the same day we did on January 20th. Correct. They had their, their uh, test deployed by January 26th, and the following week they had tested thousands, tens of thousands of people. Correct.
1: But right. nobody even talks about it. I've never heard a newscaster anywhere. Talk about random testing. Random testing is what you need. That's what gives you the information. To test somebody that has symptoms, been exposed to somebody, well, yeah, you're testing people that you know probably do
2: have it. I heard the weirdest thing this morning on TV. They were interviewing one of the governors of one of the states, and he said, as far as we know, the coronavirus test doesn't test you positive unless you have symptoms. Now that is the opposite of what I've heard And I'm sure that that governor was wrong and that that's probably being used as a rationale in the states where they're still rationing tests to justify the rationing of the tests, because that way it doesn't look so bad for Trump.
1: So, you know, it makes me wonder, is there a larger thing going on here? Like I said, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but I did hear that.
2: That's floating around in the right wing, particularly the right wing Christian circles, that this is a plague from God to strike the unbelievers. And, you know, this is going to hit particularly hard the homeless population, the urban population, largely black population that doesn't have good access to hospitals and things, or health care for that matter. You know, a lot of very poor people, obviously white people all across the country, but for some reason they go into amnesia about the fact that there's more poor whites than poor blacks, but the poor blacks will be hit in particularly hard because they tend to live in higher density areas inner cities this is being actually celebrated there are neo-nazi groups that are telling their people to go out get infected if you're young and healthy go out and get infected and then go spit on cops and jews specifically i'm surprised they're not saying black people that that'll probably be coming next we actually have a, a nazi group that got busted before this so that's what's going on when i you know i'm with you when thanks a lot for the call Bizarre stuff. Uli in Teaneck, New Jersey. Hey, Uli, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up?
6: I would like to give you some uh, details about the uh, 150 billion euro spending bill, which was approved by the German government. Okay. And uh, it works out like this. Uh, Companies up to five employees will will receive 9,000 euro. Up to 10 employees will receive 15,000 euro, this, for three months this is, and the money doesn't have to be paid back.
2: This is um, just a one-time basically gift to small and medium-sized businesses to keep them from going yeah, out of business.
6: Right, for three months. Then larger companies, they will, I'm not sure how they're going to work this out, how much money they need, but there, for some companies, there will also be a possible takeover for some time until the economy becomes stable and then it will, He returned to the private sector. For individuals, now, generally, the way it works in Germany, I'm not sure how it is now, an employer, if somebody is sick, an employer will have to continue, by law, to pay the full salary for six weeks. And after that, it will go into what's called Kurzarbeit, into, uh, like,
2: Part-time, I guess, that is called, right? Right. Um, yeah, Kurzarbeit is, no uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Oli, but that's German for short work. And, and the way that the Kurzarbeit program worked back in 2009 was that the employers would take their people to half-time because there was no need, you know, there was right. no demand for their products, yeah. but the companies would continue paying them full-time. The difference between the full-time and part-time was made up by the government giving that money to the companies right? so that the companies could right. still no. pay full-time salaries.
6: Yeah and right now individuals without children will receive 60 percent of their salary and mm-hmm. families with children will receive 67 percent of their salary so wow. that's what i read anyway okay. that's it what uli, i have to say yeah
2: thank you for the uh, update from germany i appreciate it now, from New okay. jersey thank you uli yeah. great to hear from you joanne in boise idaho joanne what's on your mind You says you're a mail carrier
7: hi We're really trying to go through this for our customers, how to keep you safe. So um, a lot of people never get a signature. But maybe you're somebody who has, um, you know, uh, medication and you need a signature. Mm -hmm. What now has come down the pike is we go to your door. You answer it. I let you know I have a – I need a signature. You say, okay, and now instead of your signature, what we're doing is we put down C-19, instead of your signature it says delivered to the customer so that I have seen you and you did get it now
2: right.
7: our thing is so you're vouching for, for me
2: basically yeah
7: what it, yeah but you're right there it's just so yeah. that I'm not handing you the device or a pen but so then we're not touching the now, same
2: surfaces I get
7: it right so now the other thing is now you're not home and you get the slip on the door Please, mm-hmm. for all your customers, yourself as well, just sign the back of it, and then we'll redeliver it the next day. And then do right. request that it goes up to your door, just so that you don't right. have to go down to the post office. You know right. what I mean?
2: Yeah, that all makes that all makes here. great sense, Joanne. Yeah.
7: Well, we're trying to take care of the customer who paid money to make sure that you got it. You know?
2: <laughs> right. Right. But Although like I'm guessing I'm that subject. as time goes on, there's going to be there's going to be fewer and fewer people going physically to the post office to order those right. kinds of return receipt required things. Uh, there may be some well, automatic more, ones that are coming out of government agencies, though.
7: Well, you can go online and request that if it is a signature, that that gets right. waived, because right. they just automatically send it that way. Okay. But uh, it's just for your protection. And also, you don't want to be crowded trying to pick up the package. So,
2: <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you, Joanne. And neither, you know, as a postal worker, you don't want us to be crowded either. Thank you for the update. It's great to hear from you. And thanks for being, you know, one of our nation's postal workers. Another group of people who are not quite as much on the front line as the nurses, but are on the front line of this epidemic and are not pausing their work. They're continuing to work. God bless them.
5: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
4: Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit carvana.com today. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's
0: new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back,
8: Congressman Pocan. I'm so sorry about what we've been doing to you the last couple days, but yeah, I've had seven and a half hours of conference calls yesterday alone, and today I'm, I think oh I'm hitting that record as well.
2: <laughs> yeah. I can well understand. So you want to tell us what's going on? Give us an update?
8: Yeah. Well, the Senate passed. the giant aid package last night, unanimously, after having to really fight hard to make sure that we could keep benefits for people on unemployment insurance in a stronger way to make sure that people are able to endure the next, not just few weeks, but few months, Tom. We've got that in place for four months, that extra money. It goes to the House tomorrow at 9 a.m. We anticipate that it will be a voice vote. That's what's been agreed to by leadership, but any member could object and ask for a recorded vote so many of us right now now does a voice
2: excuse me does a voice vote mean that you can do it remotely you can basically call in or does that mean that you still have to be there you just yell
8: no we don't have to be there because right now the house is not there only the senate is because we finished our portion of the package mitch mcconnell took that weekend off they came back to work put this together But honestly, for many of us, we're in states like Wisconsin with essentially uh, our order is safer at home, but it's a shelter in place order that's across the country in many places. Having us there just to record the vote, if they have the ability to do a voice vote, would probably be better. We know there's going to be a fourth package, maybe more, and we're trying to do anything that we can to fix things in the next packages. But the important part is this will do a lot to help small businesses. It does some to help big businesses. It does some work to help local and state governments. It's going to get more dollars for health care out there. It's going to support more benefits through the unemployment insurance. It's going to get a checkout to every American. It's got a lot of things in there. And right now, that's kind of what we're unbundling all the different aspects. We first got final language late last night. So you're just starting to see this legislation. Yeah. What happened yesterday, we had at least five hours adjust mm. on what was we thought was in the bill, but it was all without text. So we were doing with what we thought was in there, because the House had its version of a bill, and then we knew where we weren't winning and where we were winning, and then we kind of went over that by sections for about five hours yesterday. But we didn't have definitive final language yet. So now we finally have that as of last night. The Senate literally voted on it with seeing it for... A relatively short period of time our leadership said they'd do 24 hours so now we have a call this afternoon with the entire caucus we have a progressive caucus call this afternoon to go over it the progressive caucus center which is a 501c3 organization did a great analysis and that's what we're working through right now to try to fully understand what's in the bill but we anticipate right now it'll be a vote tomorrow morning ideally a voice vote but a lot of us got to figure how we're flying there otherwise right are you with us for the rest of the hour sir uh, no, I'm with you for probably another 10 minutes until there's one call to comes. Tom. I have to drop you because it's unbelievably important. Okay. Other than that, okay. I'll, I'll stay on for a week time.
2: Okay, great. Thank you. Congressman, you know, I know when we were talking just a moment ago, you gave me a quick recap of what's going on. But do you mind repeating that for, for our uh, commercial station
8: listeners? No, I'd be very glad to. So tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., the House will be voting on the bill Uh, We are having a number of calls this afternoon. Uh, with the full caucus with the progressive caucus to go over um, what's in it yesterday i think i said we had five or six hours of falls breaking it out the best we could but we didn't have language till last night so really a lot of it was still talking about what we might need to put in a fourth package and there will be a fourth package we are quite certain this package though does provide it's about two trillion dollar package does provide twelve hundred dollar checks to americans making less than seventy five thousand a year it does provide six hundred dollars a week extra in unemployment each week for the next four months to cover 100% of lost wages, it is for many people 100% of lost wages. It'll provide a local and state governments more money to do what they're doing during the health crisis. It has money in rescue funds to hospitals to keep operating and providing care to patients. There is a significant portion, about uh, four to five hundred billion, that's going to be going to some affected industries that while there are some conditions on around things like you can't use it for stock buybacks, etc., we would have liked to have had stronger and more permanent. But uh, we did have a significant win on getting additional money for people on unemployment. That was very important to the Democrats. There's a whole lot more in there, as you can imagine, a $2 trillion bill. There's going to be some things that, unfortunately, we'll probably find out a little later that aren't good. But we are doing our very best to break it down now. And we anticipate, again, a vote tomorrow morning in the House of Voice vote. If someone objects, a lot of us are going to have to find a flight to come in to officially vote, even though many of us live in areas where we're not supposed to be traveling right now. But we'll figure it all out. Just We're learning uh, as it goes.
2: Any chance that Congress is going to change the rules to make it possible that you guys could change your own rules so that you can vote remotely from home? And I'm curious your response to Governor uh, New York Governor Cuomo, who this morning called this bill a huge disappointment or words to that effect, because uh, New York State is only getting three point something billion dollars out of it.
8: Yeah, I mean, as a hotspot, he's clearly, you know, going to have concern, but it's not going to be a disappointment to every American across America, you know, across the country who um, is going to be laid off or is laid off and is going to get some extra assistance. Right. That is vital to keeping the economy going and to keeping those families uh, afloat because we wanted to make sure that that would happen. So there's a, a significant amount of good. There's a, a significant amount of bad. I guess that's what you get whenever you have a split uh, legislature and a Republican president. But um, I, I do think that the good uh, is pretty significant in here. And again, we're still dissecting through all aspects of this bill. On the voting question, Tom, uh, we, we uh, Jim McGovern from Massachusetts was uh Assigned to kind of figure this out. Um, we for now uh, we have this voice vote agreement on this package, but you know for the next few weeks, though, still people should not be traveling. The best thing that possible uh, is have people stay at home to make sure that the spread of this doesn't occur. So we're looking at other options. In fact, we right now are whipping a question to progressive caucus members with an idea around video voting uh, to see how that might work. So I think it's still a conversation that's being had
2: the uh unemployment figures came out this morning and you know you've got over roughly three million people who filed for unemployment but that doesn't include people who you know run their own home cleaning business or uber drivers you know people who are independent contractors people who work for themselves people in the gig economy people who are undocumented workers people who've been working for cash it doesn't cover any of them i mean it could be that the actual unemployment numbers are two or three times larger than what we're seeing because of the outsize impact right. in the economy of those kinds of people and those kinds of jobs. Does this bill do anything to catch these people
8: as they fall? Yes, it does have a number of ways to catch folks, uh, both on the $1,200 check um, and on the unemployment insurance. Uh, I, I don't want to say 100%, but I'm saying this about 90%, that people who are um, sole proprietors and others uh, in categories where they may not have employees will be able to access unemployment insurance under this. It's a separate fund, I believe, actually. Uh, But we'll get to the specifics on this. But there is a way to make sure that they're not left behind. I would argue, though, that I still think there are some deficiencies on the small business side. You and I are both lifelong small business people, Tom. I think one of the aspects that's missing is there's a work share proposal that could help you ramp employees back up into work that needs to be improved. And right now, there are some problems. It's only in 27 states. So we're working on that and uh we're uh, hoping in the next package that we might be able to get some improvement on that but i do think small businesses could use more help than they're getting
2: the courier journal is a, a newspaper in kentucky i'm not sure exactly where but they're reporting that kentucky congressman thomas massey republican says that not only is he planned to vote no on the corona relief package but that he also may be the vote who opposes a voice vote in the house what would that mean? And also, I've got a bunch. Of, I've got a whole bunch of callers on the line. Do you want to take calls from our listeners here? Did you want to just talk through what's going on? I'm not sure how. No,
8: I'm. I'm, I'm glad to take calls. I think I, what I won't be able to probably answer are specifics about the bill, but I'll be glad to right. do anything I can via calls.
2: Okay, great. And your thoughts on what happens if Massey says no?
8: Yeah, I, I think that's what we're so all trying to figure vote. out. Many of us are texting and calling each other, trying to figure out what's happening. I mean, if it's a voice vote. To go there unless you want to give a speech or do what thomas might want to do tomorrow but if they have us come because it has to be a recorded vote it's going to pass with at least 90 percent of the votes the question is the median age in congress is 60 which is starting to put people in risk categories and then there's people like myself who have cardiovascular disease and we're told you know we're more at risk should we get this of dying so many of us are calling our doctors right now finding out are we able to travel or not and i'm guessing many of us won't be able to. So um, it'll pass no matter what happens. If Thomas does that, I don't know what point he'll make exactly, other than he'll potentially put a lot of people at risk. But let's hope that that doesn't happen. And let's hope that we figure out voting procedures for the next few weeks, because I think it's a bad sign if we're able to travel for work other people will come to Washington because there's members of Congress to lobbyists, right? We're working against everything that we're told. Dr. Fauci repeatedly had recommended a several-week lockdown a while back when a several-week lockdown would have worked. Now we're more at month request of having people stay at home, and those could be extended. But what we've got to do is stop the spread of the virus. And um, I think anything that sends a different message really works against the public health outcomes we're trying to have.
2: Right, Getting on an airplane is not going to be something that that sets that. Getting
8: on an airplane, going to a hot zone, encouraging lobbyists to come out and other people to come out. I mean, that's going to happen. Suddenly you're getting people out of their homes to be working, staffs are going to have to do that. And we already have a number of staff people who have tested positive for the virus and you know, it's going to be Uber drivers. It's going to be uh, people's staff driving them. It's going to be a lot of other folks that are all at risk too, as you add that kind of activity. So I just think you do have to weigh it. I mean, obviously this is a, a huge package and we have to have our say and we have done everything we can to have the say. And there are some significant things in here. And there will be another package where we can do other things or make corrections. But if it's only to, you know, get your name on TV or get a few Twitter hits, to bring everyone in to do what's going to happen anyway. I don't know if that serves the public well.
2: Yeah, amen. Tony in Boise, Idaho, you're on the air with Congressman Mark
9: Pocan. I'm a musician that does Uber driving on the weekdays. So my work and gigs were all in Washington, Oregon, and California. So everything pretty much just got canceled right away. You know what I mean? So I. And there's a lot of musicians and that are uber drivers also um that uh you know are upside down and we want to open up the country for business as soon as possible too but we i want it to happen in a responsible way not like the president is saying you know do it right now and make a bad situation worse is there any way that congress can block the president from trying to open everything up in an irresponsible way so that everything gets screwed up. And then us musicians and Uber drivers are stuck another maybe two years like this because the president didn't wait the the time that doctors recommend we wait.
8: Yeah, Tony. I couldn't agree with you more. There is a number of us who signed out a bill that Ro Khanna introduced. Um, I think 20 of us did. And many, many more agree with the sentiment who didn't sign on to the bill, which is if we had a nationwide shutdown right now of some period of time, we would get through this much quicker. Honestly, it should have all happened weeks and maybe months ago, um, both from the testing kit perspective and uh, doing this to stop uh, the spread of the virus. But it didn't. At least right now, many governors have done the responsible thing and local political leaders have done the right thing, and that's going to help to try to, to lessen it. But just doing this, like thing Easter is the magical moment that, you know, you can change this doesn't follow science. So I'm hoping Dr. Fauci will keep being Dr. Fauci, keep trying to get his ear, because I think, you know, he understands that the way we do this is you have to completely lessen that curve to the point that you don't overburden the healthcare system, the hospitals, because that's when you're going to have the mass death, when you don't have enough ventilators for people, because people were either irresponsible, uh, or decided this wasn't real. And I still get unbelievable amount of comments, Tony, on my social media from people who still act like this isn't real because for so many weeks, the president and Fox News and others said that. Right now, the most important thing we can do is stay at home, especially if you're in one of those areas that needs to work from home and ride this out so we can all be able to get back to work much sooner in the future.
2: Kendall in Los Angeles. here on the air with Congressman Pocan. I live in California and just
10: read a headline from a publication, LAIST.com, that said that Governor Gavin Newsom has announced that four banks, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, Citibank, and J.P. Morgan, have agreed to a 90-day waiver for residential mortgages, but that Bank of America has not. And I'm just wondering, is there anything that, you know, all of, mostly everyone that I know has their mortgage through Bank of America. And I'm just wondering, is there anything that can be done through the Congress to put pressure on Bank of America to extend that same 90-day waiver to all citizens? We're all suffering equally.
8: Yeah, Kendall, I have not seen that, so I can't comment directly to that. I can generally comment. I think if everyone but Bank of America is doing this, there will be incredible pressure just on Bank of America, period, to also do it. So um, I am hoping that that will work. Uh, Right now, I know in the bill, we do have uh, some language around evictions and other things, I believe. And I've got to, again, we're It's a 1,200-page bill that we're trying to go through, and we've got a number of calls this afternoon to actually go through those final details uh, on it. But specifically to the mortgage question, I think if everyone is doing it of the major providers and not Bank America, there will be pressure on Bank America to do it as well.
2: Mark in San Francisco, listening on AM 910. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan.
10: Yeah, Congressman, my concern is Social Security and the funding of it. And uh, I see that there's a provision that corporations don't have to pay into it till the end of the year, and it could be a trap by the Republicans to destroy it. I'm really concerned about Social Security.
8: Yeah, Mark, I, I don't think it's a trap. It was part of the negotiation that we would never have done, I think, as Democrats alone on it. But it was part of getting this additional money in people's hands, I think, that we needed to do. But um, I don't think this is going to be something that's going to be permanent. I think it is. In fact, it's even specifically has a time date and, I believe, in the bill. Um, But it does show, you know, again, part of the fights that we have. To get something that puts money into hands of people who right now are unemployed so they can buy groceries and pay their rent uh, and continue to be able to pay for health care if they have it, Uh, we have to negotiate things that don't always make a lot of sense with the Republicans. Um, This was something that uh, they thought would save their employers some money for people who are employing people. But it should have a short-term net life to it. And uh, I I don't see it as a measure that's going to be something at all that's permanent that will affect Social Security.
2: Diana, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Diana in San Diego.
3: What I'm thinking is that we're going about this all the wrong way. What we're doing now is we're hiding from the virus. And what we should be doing is looking for it and containing it. In other words, when people call in and they say to a doctor, they say, well, I'm not feeling so good, rather than go through a few symptoms and tell them to stay at home, you just tell them, well, pick up your hotel key. And the people who feel that there's something wrong with them, we firstly put them in a hotel.
2: And then we start... Yeah. Dana, let's, let's, let's brilliant idea. Uh, Congressman Pocan, yeah, I think what Dana is basically saying is if anybody's feeling sick, let, you know, let's quarantine them. Um, that actually may not be as crazy as it sounds initially. Uh, what are your thoughts?
8: No, I mean, and I think that's kind of what we're doing. Honestly, um, uh, I can tell you in Wisconsin, um, you know, I know of people who got a test last Tuesday and are still waiting for results today. This is nine days later. Mm. Um, so wow. they're going to be hitting that um two-week period that you'd be waiting to find out if you have it and then hopefully you'll know if they had it and they had mild symptoms or not so you know they're staying away from people but if anyone has symptoms they should just be uh, doing their best to quarantine uh that they can and not everyone's going to be able to afford to go somewhere else or do something else and i don't know if we want them checking into hotels but we do have to just watch out for everyone so um this is the the reality uh now other people who Uh, We know other people who've had like other symptoms like pneumonia who've gotten test results in two days, but um, people with, um, you know, conditions who were in hot zones are waiting, like I said, right now up to nine days. And that just means you've got to quarantine during that time period no matter what. You don't go to work, even if it's an essential job, if you are sick. That's why we extended the sick pay provision. So this is one where people just have to be smart, not selfish think of their grandmother or grandfather every time they're making a decision, because that's really what we are doing.
2: Yeah. Mark in Valley, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan.
1: I'm on social security disability, and I'm not really, not really expecting to see a check. I'm worried that the president's gonna stick me on that six months' rotation of proving my disability. And, you know, it takes two, two and a half years to get in front of a magistrate until you could have disability for six months every three years under that program.
8: I think we're going to be taking care of people in your situation as well, from what I understood. I can't tell you exactly. I know the check, I believe, will be something that you'll see. You're not on UI, so you may not see that increase. But I think there are some other initiatives for people in your place. I do not anticipate the president will do anything extra harsh right now, because I think this is one period where Democrats and Republicans, despite many of our differences, are trying to row together in many of these areas, and this is one that I think is pretty nonpartisan.
2: And welcome back. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us, taking your calls, and uh, Beverly in Wheeling, Illinois. You're on the earth, Congressman Pocan.
7: I was wondering if people like restaurant workers who are laid off temporarily... And after this is over, can go back to work. I was wondering if they will be getting, will be able to apply for unemployment.
8: Yeah, I'll tell you, that is, Beverly, one of the points I think that got missed in the bill. We had a better provision in the Democratic bill. There's something called WorkShare under UI, and I have been a big proponent of doing a few tweaks to that program. That would allow a small business like a restaurant, because they're not going to go back to 100% capacity, to bring people on at maybe 25 or 50% capacity, and they can still qualify for uninsure, uninsure, uh, unemployment insurance, uh, at a, a rate of like 50% if they're working 50%, and that allows them to get the extra money uh, right now that we're going to need to so that that small business can eventually reopen and get them on at 100%, gets more money in their pockets, and it puts less of a burden on the UI system. So. There is something that um, I'm working really, really hard on. 27 states have this, 23 don't. It does need to be uh, streamlined a little more because right now it's you can only reduce hours 60%, and I don't know if everyone can bring people back on at 40% right away, um, and you have to do it across the board. So we're we're trying to make some tweaks in it, but I think it's a smart way of trying to uh, address this issue, and Rosa DeLauro and I um, are, are leading with a bill on the House on this. So uh, I, I understand the issue. I'm a small business owner for since I was 23 years old, and uh, I want to make sure that the business is reopened so people have jobs when this is all over.
2: Marty in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. My
3: dad is currently in the hospital. We, he got admitted yesterday and he tested positive for COVID 19. And he's in a high risk category, um, you know, including the, uh, diabetes and all this other stuff. So they have him in isolation over there. But my mom and I are really freaking out. So, what I guess we're asking is, is should we get tested being close? You know, being in proximity to somebody who's sick. I mean, we're both asymptomatic, but it's kind of scary to think that we might actually be carrying this thing and not even know it. So, is there any recommendation for family members to get
8: tested once a family member has been tested positive? Thank you. Yeah, Marty, I think it's going to depend on your unique area. I would say, one, ask your doctor that question. Um, but At minimum, you should probably, because you know you've been exposed to someone who had uh, COVID-19, you should probably be uh, doing 14 days of uh, self-isolation just to be safe. You don't want to spread out to someone else. Uh, You may turn out to be someone who's asymptomatic. You may not have it, but you don't know that. Um, If the doctor can get you in to be tested, they'll make that termination. But like I said, um, in Wisconsin, uh, in some cases right now, I know someone waiting nine days for a result, you know, you still would be in self-isolation. I think you just have to automatically assume that you're going to make sure you're not spreading it. If you do have it or you and you may not know it because you could be asymptomatic, but call your doctor and ask them and they'll have the best advice. Okay.
2: David in Los Angeles, you're on the air with in Pokemon. I hear that
10: furthers the disbursement of the, the funds, let's say the $1,200. I've heard reports that it would be at least around about months before this money is massively distributed to the masses. But I'd like to ask, dear Congressperson, how will the 500 billion to corporate America, I think y'all already have the the, the methodology by which you will disperse that money, right? And in addition to that, why is it, and how do you come to the number that $500 billion go to corporate America, and a a fraction of that goes to the state and county and city, and a fraction of that goes to the masses. How did y'all come up with
2: these numbers? Okay, Congressman, yeah, well, we have about a of all, lot of minute till the end, end of the hour. Yeah,
8: first of all, um, the majority is, is going to the masses uh, uh, right now in the bill, so that is stuff that we fought for, and uh, it will not take four months. I don't know where you read that, but I would find new media sources. Um, but it's not going to be quick. That wasn't our preferred way of doing it. We wanted to add it to the. Unemployment insurance, and figure out some other ways to get money out to people, including people who may not currently be employed. So there is going to be a little bit of a curve to that, but it's nothing close to four months. As to the corporate, I, I can't tell you the delivery system of that right now. We just know right now that we have a panel to oversee decisions that are made, so we can make sure that we've got some uh, confidence in how that's happening. But I think this isn't a time to, to, you know, necessarily be, you know pointing the finger, I guess, a little bit. I mean, I don't like the way that we don't have extra provisions for this, but we do have provisions as long as the loans are in place. They can't use stock buybacks and other things. But I do know that the money will be almost immediately available via the UI system, and we need to get that money out right away for people who are very currently sure. unemployed.
2: Congressman Pocan, thanks so much for dropping by. I, please stay safe.
8: Yeah, thank you very much, Tom. You too, and we'll hopefully be here next week for you.
1: Thank you, Congressman. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit tomhartman.com.